I don't know if you knew this, but the world of podcasting is massive. Hi, I'm Leah. I'm the host of CBC's Podcast Playlist. There is such a constant avalanche of new releases, it can be hard to keep up. Luckily, Podcast Playlist can help. Every week, we deep dive into the podcast world to find the most compelling stories. And every month, we'll give you a sneak peek into the hottest new releases so you can stay ahead. Tune in to Podcast Playlist on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Damon Fairless. Last week, a group of masked gunmen broke into a major TV station in the city of Guayaquil, Ecuador. They waved pistols and explosives in the air, pointed their weapons at their captives, and forced about 50 staff members onto the floor. One of the journalists who was taken captive said, quote, They hunted us, they looked for us everywhere, and they took us to the set with intention. During the confrontation, a cameraman was shot in the leg, another employee had their arm broken, and at one point the news anchor holds his hands as if in prayer and pleads for the attackers to stop. And this was all broadcast live. It's an incredibly brazen act of violence, but it was hardly an exception. For over a week now, Ecuador's been in a state of emergency. This footage shows armed gang members setting fire to cars in the country's north in broad daylight. And the gang's terror tactics appear to be working. Sadness and fear is something we all have right now, but we don't know what to do, because in reality, we can't do anything. Today, I'm speaking with Carolina Lozeleon. She's a freelance journalist based in Manta, Ecuador, and she's going to take us through what's been happening on the ground. She'll help us understand the gangs at the heart of the escalating violence and whether the government's approach is likely to quell the chaos. Carolina, thanks so much for coming on Frontburner. Thank you for having me. So there's been uh, widespread violence and chaos over the last little while there, but this this attack at the TV station last week in Yayakil, th- this brought this to the world's attention and, and really seems to be a turning point. Uh, hostages were taken. There's also been bombings and lootings. So I guess I'm, I'm curious, what, what's life like been for folks where you are? Well, for the past two years, Ecuadorians have had somewhat of a peak of violence, especially when there were transfers of leaders of gangs from one prison to the other, but nothing like this. I am speaking now from Manta, which is a coastal city here in Ecuador. And I had friends in the cities of uh, Guayaquil and Quito telling me this, like there, there, there seems to be something going on at the station. Traffic uh, is at a standstill, fake bomb threat. And it just kept escalating throughout the day. So it, it meant that many people had just to walk home. They couldn't find a way to get back home. And a general panic. I understand that, like some of the things that are happening in the in the streets of that, like you know, cars are being set on fire. And then, t- tell me about the the University of Guayaquil. Also, it was stormed, wasn't it? Yes, there was a, a general panic, and then it was also a, a, of uncertainty of what was going on. Uh, many people were just starting running to get out of the place. <laughs> they were scared of getting robbed or a potential of getting kidnapped, and not knowing what was happening as well. 
places that are crowded are mostly avoided by people because of things like this, of what we saw in the university in Guayaquil. And how pervasive is this? Like, uh, like are we talking the the major cities in, in Ecuador, if folks are feeling like this, or is it just a few places? It, it has been spread throughout the country. That's another thing that makes this different from, from previous weeks of violence. So I am based in a city that has seen its fair share of violence, where we had bomb threats. Um, and this was not common in the rest of the country. However, this now happened in the capital city, especially. This is... This is fairly new. So now there's a sense of even in cities in the Amazon region, which has been the calmest throughout these this period of violence in the past couple of years. We even seen that there. So there's an uncertainty of not knowing what could happen next. Ecuador has had political turmoil and protests. Um, and usually Ecuadorians, we have this uncanny ability of just sleeping it off and then walking out the next day and not even mentioning much about it. It's like life goes on as normal. But, but this, this is has not happened. Yeah. And, and you can see that they, this, this sense of fear is lingering. It's not, it's, it's not like anything that has happened before in the country. So do, do you mean when you go out on the streets that their folks are staying at home? So businesses have closed. They're, they're very reluctant to open businesses again. Hmm. Uh, we've seen some, uh, some, People going out, but with a, a bit of fear, especially in public. It feels like when the pandemic, hmm. when they were lifting the restrictions from the pandemic and people were venturing out, but with that sense of fear, it's that feeling all over again here. But now it's because of the violence. So, so this current state of emergency, it was declared shortly after the disappearance of, of this, this quite notorious criminal, Aldolfo Macias Fito. Ecuador is on full alert. Its army will be patrolling the streets for at least the next 60 days after the country declared a state of emergency. They're searching for Adolfo Macias, known by his alias Fito. He's the leader of this this powerful gang called Los Choneros. And I, I understand he vanished shortly before a scheduled transfer to a maximum security prison. And that that sparked a huge manhunt. And then there were prison riots. And then we had this, this latest outbreak of violence. So it seems that this has a lot to do with this, this, this gangster Fito. Can you tell me more about him? He was basically this, on this gang, that is known for extortion. They started out in extortion for ranchers and people working in agriculture in different parts of the country. After that, they basically just kept getting more and more control of different parts of the country. And, and so, oh, sorry. And then they they diversified their business, so to speak. Yes, they diversified their business. Mm. So they would usually what they would work. Uh, with with vaccines, which is an arbitrary vacunas as they call it. It's an arbitrary tax charged weekly or monthly, and it's collected from businesses or families. So, va- so vaccine, they said you mean was, like like protection money is what we we yes, basically oh, protection money right from themselves because if you didn't pay, you would get threatening calls and kidnappings, ransom, uh, things like that. So basically, um, 
he kept he rose through the ranks and is this leading figure and is one of the main gang. The leader of the country's most powerful drug syndicate, the Choneros, is serving a 32-year sentence for murder and was taken to a nearby maximum security prison on the orders of President Guillermo Lasso. Authorities say they suspect Fito's involvement in murder of presidential candidate Fernando Villavicencio, who had recently received death threats from him. And he has been a prominent figure because he has keep he has kept operating from inside the prison. Los Chineros has kept this control over the prisons, and they they carry out extortions for inmates inside the prisons. So um, they have control in and out of the prisons, and they have infiltrated um, government officials, the police, and he had this very flamboyant figure of he had a. Uh, production company to film a video for him last year. He gave a couple of that look like press releases from prison. Uh, he had a lot of perks within the prison that would be considered luxuries, such as running water, uh, hot water, uh, Wi-Fi within his cell. So I mean, you've you've mentioned that that uh, he, his gang and I assume others are are able to you know <laughs> enforce uh, these vaccines. You 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 mentioned this extortion money from within prisons, and then also it sounds like the prison system is also corrupt. So can you tell me about like what what I just want to know about the prison system in Ecuador in general. Oof, the prison system in Ecuador is it's it's very different than what what someone can picture in North America where there's more of a, a functioning like, judiciary system basically the 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 prison system is described as hell by many of them and and it's not just because the person has to serve a sentence but they can the living conditions there or they have to pay for everything for every single thing so that means having a mattress a space they're usually overcrowded um there have been some reforms, so there are some new prisons that have been built, but there's um, uh, the food, they have to pay for it, uh, every little thing uh, on sanitary conditions and not any access to treatment, to uh, health treatment if they have some condition that they have to treat and, and, and they need medicine. So there's an uh, ongoing series of, of violations on the in this prison system. Usually I've, I spoke to, to inmates uh, over the past year, and they were saying that even things like as, if they have served their sentence and they're eligible for leaving, live in prison and going to um, to having to serve time at home and then having to uh, present themselves once a month at the prison, their folders would be held for months. So they had to pay a bribe for their case to go up um, in in the queue as if if we can we can. Put it that way. So, so, so basically, every step of the way is corruption. It's laden by corruption. And, and what and what's the source of the corruption? I mean, clearly, if someone like Fito is able to basically run a prison from the inside, that that's you know, it's in the hands of of criminals. But but is this also endemic in the in the government who's running the system as well? It it is it is sadly it is so. Um, basically, the the reason why the violence has peaked as it has is because. The levels of impunity uh, in the judicial system in Ecuador 
have reached such an extent that, that it doesn't seem like it's it's possible to have any sense of justice in the country. People have to pay, even if they're innocent. There have been cases of of people getting into a car accident and they per, they can prove they're innocent, but they will have to pay thousands of dollars to a judge. So while people and politicians that have been charged uh, with corruption scandals uh, are able to leave the country before uh, they are charged. Um, so all of these things make it such a dysfunctional system that it's a breeding ground for these groups to operate and take control of prisons. So you meet a woman online. I love it. I just love it. But it turns out thousands of other people are in love with her too. Janessa Brazil. Janessa Brazil. Janessa Brazil. One woman's image is being used by criminals to target innocent people looking for love online. You win their hearts, you win their wallets. Love, Janessa. My wild quest to find her. The unwitting human face of a digital con. From CBC Podcasts and the BBC World Service. So we've been talking about one of these groups, Los Choneros, who that, that that's run by Fito, who we've been talking about. But but there are other gangs too, right? And there, a lot of those have links to illegal drug trade. Can can you give me kind of can we just take the ten thousand foot view here and give me a, a, a an overview of of how these gangs work within the country? Yes, yes. Uh, so basically, these gangs, as I mentioned before, they are they do extortion. They started out that way. But then you have a key location in Ecuador, a key location for the drug trade. Mm-hmm. So you have a very lucrative business to get involved and you have people with the know-how um, uh, of illegal activities. So it's just been like a um, this noble effect, right, over the past few years. And you need someone on the ground to carry out these operations. So Los Chonetas was one of them. They started, some of these bands have started out in, in the province where I'm, I'm now in Manabi because... It's the main fish import in the country, and it has been um, a key route to getting uh, drugs all the way to the U.S. And then these groups have been fighting for control over the past few years for the drug trade routes uh, to link up with other groups. Los Choneros has some links with Mexican cartels. Uh, It is widely believed. Los Choneros is involved in much of the country's cocaine trade, acting as a broker between the Colombian and Mexican drug cartels. And just to point out too, for, for people who aren't as familiar with the geography, but but you know Ecuador borders Colombia and Peru, right? Both cocaine-producing yes. countries, right? So just exactly. just as a, a major shipping point to areas like Mexico and even I think to the Balkans too, right? It's it's kind of a valued territory for for these groups. Exactly, it's valued territory also because of the of of the ports like Manta where I'm in, it's easier to get out. And also, uh, especially from Colombia, from the border with Colombia, we border with an area where there's a lot of um, coca fields, coca productions. So all of these plays a key role. And it it is a country that has been fairly peaceful before. So the controls weren't as, as extensive as they would have been, let's say, in Peru or Colombia. So all of that has contributed and uh, has been the breeding ground. And especially in the past few years with the pandemic and an earthquake that hit the Ecuadorian coast in 2016, 
the need for uh, for for jobs, the lack of jobs has also allowed these groups to gain control in pockets in areas of the country, in rural areas first, um, in areas where there are fishermen and recruit them to send them with drugs. So all of that has been taking place in the past eight years, if not for longer. Okay, so I, I want to talk about President Noboa now. I, I guess I'm curious, what kind of pressure has all this put on him? Well, it's definitely a big, a big test as a, as a, as a president to have to face this wave of violence. He he did come to office with promises of ending the violence as soon as he could. Tomorrow we start work for this new Ecuador. We start working to rebuild a country seriously battered by violence, by corruption, and by hate. From tomorrow, hope will start working. He had a brief career in politics uh, before, but he comes. He also comes from a, from a family, a rich family, mm. the richest family in the country. In fact, some people on social media would would compare him and dub him to to Kendall Roy, <laughs> call him Ecuadorian Kendall Roy, and um, many were concerned that he had the expertise, but also many people were. We're happy to have a fresh face in politics. So what he has done in the past, uh, in the last few days, uh, it has been the toughest response. Restoring order inside the country's dangerous prisons is a priority for President Daniel Noboa after he declared a state of internal conflict in the country earlier last week. It gave the military sweeping powers to confront criminal gangs responsible for an unprecedented wave of violence that shocked the country. And there has been support for him, even from the opposition, but we'll see how long this support lasts. He's calling what's happened in Ecuador, uh, quote, internal armed conflict. And he's, he's, he's using the language of war against the gangs, calling them terrorists. Yes. What do you think that language tells us about his plan to deal with this kind of violence? Well, that language just shows how he's going to provide a lot of power to the military. The idea that the military will have this much power, although it is a military that's that's professional, that's been trained, and it it, it does raise some questions on how much power they're going to have and the abuses that might take place. Like There's over a thousand people that have been detained. Mm-hmm. Now, with the judiciary system that I mentioned before, how do we expect them? Like, what about innocent people that might be detained? We got to see how this is going to play in different fronts. As I mentioned, the causes for this violence are not just gangs that came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. This comes from neglect of communities, the low-income communities that have been the most affected by years before we saw this nationwide violence. So how are they going to tackle that in a country that in economic terms is not doing so well? Uh, and in the long term, we still have to see that. How is it going to be carried out? The, the other thing that strikes me is, I mean, so it sounds like the current president's, uh, you know, approach has been the strongest, but it, but it's not unique in, in invoking a state of emergency. So his predecessor, uh, Guillermo Lasso, he, I think he imposed roughly 20 states of emergencies over the last few years. So I, I guess I'm, I'm curious, even, even if this is stronger, how likely is it to succeed? Yes, that's what everyone in Ecuador is also 
wondering how, but it, it seems different. It seems different. Even uh, as the news of the state of emergency came out, uh, people were first joking. It's like, oh, okay, here we go again. Um, here we go again. This is, you know, this is, we're going to have a curfew. Businesses are worried uh, of what's going to happen for them, changing schedules, changing our routines. And then the violence that we saw happen. It was very new um, to Ecuadorians and, and shocking and the terror that it caused. So for many of them, it, it seems like it's a tougher stand that, that Daniel Noboa has on crime. But it, we have to see how effective it is. For many right. people, effectiveness has translated into more detentions. And this is the sense that we have now, yeah. but it's been a week. We have to see. I, I think the other, the other question, you know, given, given how the gangs have responded, you know, to politicians who have taken a tough stance too, you know, what kind of position has Noboa put himself in by declaring this? Is Presumably he's at, he's at risk of receiving, you know, uh, payback from the gangs too. Yes, yes. And, and he, um, before all of this happened, he was at his beach home in the southern part of the country, and there was a heavy military presence mm-hmm. that you wouldn't see in precedence before. It strikes me that, you know, this last week is kind of a tipping point in your country it sounds like violence has been slowly growing but you know for for a very long time ecuador was you know it was this island of peace in in south america it was a model of stability in the region and it had a, a reputation of being a lot safer than colombia for instance that's been ravaged by drug violence so i guess you know your country is has changed uh, and it sounds like you're you're entering a period of instability and uncertainty. So I guess I'm I'm curious how you and your fellow Ecuadorians are feeling about this. It is quite frustrating, I must I, I have to admit. It is um it is worrying, it's concerning, it is frustrating as well. I I lived in Colombia covering the peace process there. And I remember having colleagues, especially from Mexico and Colombia, and the first impressions they would get of Ecuador is like it's so calm. Mm. Even walking down the street it feels very, very safe. That that has completely changed. So it is it is quite concerning. We have for the past few months, I've had friends who, the ones who are dual passport holders and whose parents are, are encouraging them to leave the country. So that talk of migration is not only done in economic terms. Now we're speaking about if you can leave, you should consider that. What it's life like. It is also that pressure on, on our mental health, too, that we think it doesn't have much of an effect, but then we realize it does. And especially for colleagues in, in, in local news outlets, I've seen that the toll that that has had on them and, and many of them had had to go in exile. This was unthinkable three years ago in Ecuador uh, for doing their job. So it is it is a frustrating situation. It is a scary, but it's also that ability of saying, how do we deal with, with, with what I have in front of, of me and how do I adapt to this? All right, Carolina, thank you so much for taking time to, to talk to us about that. Thank you. All right, that's all for today. I'm Damon Fairless. Thanks for listening to Frontburner. I'll talk to you tomorrow.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.